Welcome to chapel this morning. You in a good mood? I, you do need to know right here at the beginning of the semester that I'm a morning person. So if you hate that, then you're going to hate it because I love mornings. Hey, I want you to see something that's going to be happening at the Bobo Spiritual Life Center tonight at 7 o'clock. I have a fan. Thank you, fan. The, t- two doors down. Do you know where the Bobo Spiritual Life Center is? It's two doors down. If you've not been there, you need to go hang out there. You can go get some coffee. I just went over there myself, got a cup of coffee. Let's watch this video and see what's happening there tonight. freshmen, you need to be there tonight at the Bobo Spiritual Life Center. It's a great time to be together, so make sure you make your way over there tonight. I want to introduce you to two of your student government people. Both Michael and Emily are here. They're going to come out and share for a moment. Michael, Emily, please come. Come share with us what we need to know as as unknowing people. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> My name is Michael Wright, and I'm your internal vice president this is Emily Saltz, and she's your external vice president. And Jordan Hanna wasn't able to make it, but he's the student body president. We wanted to come by and introduce ourselves and let you know that we're here on your behalf to uh, ad- advocate for you. And uh, so f- please feel free to come by our office anytime in the sub. Um, freshman elections are coming up. We have 13 senator spots open, as well as three class officer positions. So you can find the filing uh form online at baylor.edu slash sg slash elections. Um, they're due September 8th by 5 p.m., and elections will take place on September 21st. And we really do just want y'all to come by our office anytime. It's on the first floor of the sub. It's easy to find. And we also wanted to let you know of a couple of really neat opportunities that are coming up for you to get to know your community, which is Waco. And the first one is the Welcome to Waco Dr. Pepper Hour. It'll be next Tuesday, September the 8th, normal Dr. Pepper Hour from 3 to 4 in Barfield Drawing Room. But the mayor's going to be there and the city council and the city manager, and they are so excited to talk to you guys. And this is a great chance for you to give your feedback about what you want to see in the city of Waco. Also, the Waco Chamber of Commerce has put together a special day called College Day. It's going to be September the 12th. That's a Saturday from 4 to 9 p.m. in Heritage Square downtown. It's free food and live entertainment and just a chance for Waco to welcome you to the city. So we hope to see you all there. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Your student government. It's your student government, so be involved in that. Do you know what the word sustainability means? No, we're only in college. Sustainability is, did you know that that at Baylor University, we actually have a sustainability coordinator? I bet you didn't know that. 
we hired the sustainability coordinator this summer. His name is Smith Getterman. Smith, will you come on out for a second? And Smith's going to share with you a little bit about what he does and what sustainability means and why we should care about things like sustainable efforts on our campus. Smith. Hey, everyone. Um, basically, sustainability is just uh, my job is basically getting Baylor as green as possible. Um, recycling, uh, water waste, energy waste, uh, you name it, we do it. Um, and I just wanted to come out here and uh, kind of basically tell you the three or four things that we've got going on campus right now and ways you can get involved. Um, you can recycle, obviously. Uh, please continue to recycle. We had a uh, record move-in day. We recycled 10.6 tons of recycling just from two days of move-in. Uh, and uh, another way you can get involved is uh, there are over 5,000 Last Out Lights Out uh, stickers on campus right now on light switches. Uh, if you see these Last Out Lights Out uh, stickers, please turn off the lights in that room as you leave. Uh, it's a one way that we're trying to curb our energy waste because I'm sure as you've probably walked around campus at night, we have lights on everywhere. And so we're trying to uh, curb our energy waste. Another way is we have now, we now have these things called eco-to-go shells in our cafeterias. Instead of using styrofoam uh, to-go things, you can actually use these uh, reusable Tupperware basically things. Uh, you, you take them home with you, you, you wash them out and then bring them back to the dining hall and they will actually give you a brand new one and all you have to do is swipe your card at the dining hall. Finally, the other thing is we have volunteer opportunities for everybody here for uh, recycling and uh, other things. If you want to be involved on campus with green movement and all that kind of stuff, come, some, come see me in the foyer, and uh, I'll give you some information where you can get involved on campus. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Smith. If, yeah. If you ever get overwhelmed and you think, I don't really remember all the things that everyone said, I want you to know that we're going to send out an email a little bit later today. You will get it in your email box. It's going to have some reminders about some things going on in the Spiritual Life Center and in the spiritual life of our university. Um, also, when you go to the Bobo tonight at 7 o'clock for the Connect Freshman Time, um, that you're also going to find out about all of those things as well. So be a part of that. I want to introduce you to our guest for today. I'm very excited about today because Al Staggs is here. Those of you who don't know who Al Staggs is, he is a, a guy who has had this incredible career of joining two interests together. One, this fervent love of the gospel of Christ that he, he shares all over the place. And then two, this fervent love of drama and acting and playwriting. He's come today um, to share with us uh, part of his passion, and I want to share with you just a little bit about what that is. He found a calling when he wrote a one-act play years ago about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Those of you who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a theologian in Germany who worked with the German movement against Nazism. He was in prison, and he, he gave his life to that cause, and we still read a lot about him in theological circles these days. Um, he also wrote, Al also wrote about Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was closely tied to liberation theology in El Salvador. He also wrote about Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk and a social activist. He wrote about Walter Rauschenbusch, a Baptist minister who is key in the social gospel movement here in the U.S. If you see a theme going through what I'm saying right now, Al Staggs has written and performed one-act plays about people who have given their lives to justice and peace for the cause of Christ. And so um, I think it's important that we give him our undivided attention today. I want to introduce you to who he's going to characterize. Clarence Jordan. Anybody know the name Clarence Jordan? Clarence Jordan started something that many of you know about. Anybody know the name Habitat for Humanity? Indeed, many of you have probably even worked with Habitat for Humanity, and you can, and you'll have opportunities right here in Waco to do that while you're here. 
Clarence Jordan started that organization. He was not only a Greek scholar, but he was also a farmer. He started something else that's very fascinating. In 1942, he started this farm called Koinonia Farms. The farm was in southwest Georgia, and it was dedicated to integration of race. It was dedicated to living in harmony together. Now, hear me say, southwest Georgia, 1942. Clarence Jordan was ahead of his time. He wrote the Cotton Patch Gospel. He's somebody who has already got it, who already got it long before we began to get it as a society. So we're thankful today that we get to hear a little bit from Clarence Jordan. So welcome him to Baylor Chapel this morning. My, 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 this is a fancy God box you've got here at Baylor University. Jerusalem on the Brazos, I was told. I'm mighty honored to be here, you know, because of my uh, work with Habitat for Humanity, co-founding that organization, and my uh, founding Cornelia Farms, which was a, as you heard, an interracial community, which in South Georgia in 1942 was, to say it was controversial is quite an understatement. And then uh, I worked on the Cotton Patch Gospels, translating it because of my Ph.D. work in New Testament Greek. And you know with all that, sometimes people will look at me and they say, you know Clarence Jordan, he's a a saint. (laughs) I ain't no saint. I'm just an ordinary old farmer trying to live out the mandates of the Sermon on the Mount, which is no easy job. Oh, I have been called something other than a saint. You can believe that. I've been called an agitator, a troublemaker. I have even been called a communist by many folk. Yeah, I was preaching in a church in South Georgia, one of these great big old Baptist churches, you know, county seat churches. And in the middle of my sermon, up stands this big old white Georgia farmer, interrupts my sermon and says, Don't listen to Clarence Jordan. He's a communist. I looked at him. I said, wait a minute. How come it is you call me a communist? He said, well, we all know down there at your corner farm, your interracial farm, uh, you all rolled a red carpet out for a labor leader, a known communist. I said, in other words, because we rolled a red carpet out for a supposed communist, that makes me a communist? He says, you mighty right. I said, let me get this straight. Now, let me get this straight. If we were to roll the red carpet out for you, that would make me a jackass. Am I correct? (laughs) I have been called something worse than a communist. Oh, yes. I have, listen, I've been called a name. If, if you are called this name that I'm going to mention to you, if you call this name by somebody from Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, you know that, that part of the country, you know, where people talk like I do. If you are called this name, they've called you the worst name they can possibly call you. And I hesitate to mention this term in mixed company. But here it is. Liberal. 
somebody from Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia call you a liberal, they've called you the worst thing they could possibly, they've cursed you out in the worst way they know how. But when somebody, listen, when somebody calls me a liberal, I say thank you so much. I do appreciate that. Can I build a statue to your honor in my backyard? Let me tell you something. I'm convinced our Lord and Savior was a raging liberal. Outright, total, sold out, committed liberal. Why do I say that? Because you don't get put on no cross for being a conservative. No, for being an upholder of the status quo, you don't get, you're not controversial enough. It's when you go to being radical and you start shaking up the truths and start looking at the, the ways of God in a vastly different way than even most of the religious crowd that people start getting troubled about you, that you start to become dangerous. Who put Jesus on the cross? First, it was the empire. Don't ever forget that. It wasn't Jews who put Jesus to death, as some people are often prone to say, it was the empire of Rome, the nation. And that's a mighty frightening probability when you think about uh, church and state relations and prophetic witness among any nation of any time. Remember that one. It's not the establishment of, you know, well, that's a whole nother sermon. I'll send it. If you'll send me $50 to my, I'll send you the tape. But the other part of that, of the group to put people to death were the religious establishment, those orthodox people that says this is the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus came in as this radical new voice and, and showed people a whole new paradigm, began to advocate justice for the poor, began to preach on behalf of the poor, began to announce the, king, the coming of the kingdom of God for here and now, not for some hereafter in the heavenly by and by. As no, the kingdom of God was at hand, is what Jesus was saying. And the religious and the political establishment could not tolerate it, and they co-conspired to put him to death and that has present day relevance because when Jesus' message is heard in all of its radical nature, it confounds the powers that be and it confounds the religious establishment as well as the political establishment because they always have their turf they want to hang on to tenaciously. You know, I don't fit any of those categories. What is it? Uh, liberal? Uh, Moderate, conservative, fundamentalists—I don't know what you call it. But anyway, you know, liberals bother me oftentimes. I'm—I preach in these liberal churches, and they'll say things like this. They'll say, "Now, now, now, pr please, Clarence, when you get up to preach, don't talk about the cross and suffering and sacrifice. Cause, see, Clarence, when we come to church, we want to feel good." I say, oh, it's all well and good. You ought to feel good, but there's a whole lot more gravity to the essence of the faith than just feeling good all the time. I mean, I always say we'll praise our hind legs off for Jesus and won't do a thing he says. 
and then there's those moderates. Moderates really do perturb me. I, I really scratch my head over people who call themselves, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a conservative, I'm not a, and I'm certainly not a liberal, I'm a, I'm a moderate. I have, a, I almost, I just makes me almost be nauseated. Moderate? How can you be a Christian and be moderate about anything? Their theme song ought to be almost all the way my Savior leads me. <laughs> and a moderate church, when I go to moderate churches, especially, especially Baptists, I say, please, please, Clarence, please, if you will, don't say anything controversial. <laughs> I want to laugh. I said, have you, taken a, uh, have you taken a glance at the cross lately? <laughs> The reason that Jesus got put on the cross was he was exactly that. He was controversial. And if you thought that by following Jesus and professing Jesus would somehow make you be able to disappear and make you ghost-like and nobody would notice you, you, you misread your scripture. Because Jesus was always talking about you better count the cost before you profess to follow me. You th- you're talking about joining the special forces or the, the Navy SEAL. When you, when you follow Jesus Christ, we run ratcheted up about 10 notches over those fellas and women. It's serious business. You're special troops. You're, you're special forces. And then there are those conservatives. Mm. Those preachers, you know those preachers have those big old churches, you know, great big churches and great big television programs and these puffed up preachers preaching mighty loud and long about other people's sins. You know, I want to hear them talk about some texts that I haven't heard conservative preachers talk about. Hardly any of them. I think that some of those big old, big time conservative TV preachers who are wealthier than can be at big time and their egos as big as all outdoors. I, I think their Bible is so big you could probably put it in, the, in your watch pocket. I mean, that, that's how small it is. I want to hear these big time conservative preachers preach about issues such as racism. You know, it always has amazed me as a Southerner growing up in the South that for all our talk about Jesus and having revivals for generations and all this thing about following Jesus, where, where, were, where was the worst manifestation of racism? The worst and most horrific and most unjust manifestation of racism was in no other place than what is called the Bible Belt. What does that say to us? That says to us that you can rave on all you want to about your, your Jesus and sing all you want to and pray and all that, but if you don't get out there and correct the systemic injustice, it's blasphemous to talk about Jesus if you're not shaking up society and, and undoing the, the yoke of bondage for a whole lot of people who are living in abject poverty and misery. And the prophets tell us that quite clearly. 
that even your your symbol shaking and praising and all of this stuff you do is in the ears of God is horrific blasphemy if you're not doing the works of justice and helping people out. I'm not talking about charity. Charity is fine. I'm talking about the way way life is structured so that the haves get more and the have-nots they have what little they have stolen from them in legal means, by legal means. And what is legal is not always moral. Conservative preachers. I, I'd, like to hear, I'd like to hear conservative preachers preach about war and peace. Hmm. You know something? I think we're raising spiritual schizophrenics in our churches. Yeah, we tell our children, our young people, uh, Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And what does it say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers for what? They shall be called the sons and daughters of God. And yet, you know, we've never seen a war in our United States that we weren't quite willing to send our children off to. We were raising spiritual schizophrenics. Here's my conviction. I think whenever Congress declares war, I think the members of Congress who declare war ought to be right out in front of the troops in battle. More than that, I think the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, ought to be out in front of them. Let me tell you something in case you missed it. War is not glorious. It's hell on earth, and you want to avoid it at all costs. So I have a great deal of impatience with people who sit at home with their knitting needles watching TV and having their gin and tonic while the youngest of our generation, the most promising of our generation, have to go out and face the hell of war. Don't you ever vote for war unless you're willing to strap on a weapon and face the enemy, so-called enemy face-to-face, don't you ever vote for war. And don't you ever casually treat a declaration of war. It's antithetical to the essence of our Lord's purposes. And, and there's that issue of greed, which I don't hear preachers preach about, and I guess there's good reason because so many of those preachers, I hate to act like a person with a pointed finger, but I look at some of the houses they live in and some of the cars they drive and the opulence of some of those people, and I say, how is it that they resemble our Lord and Savior's lifestyle, who when he died, all he had was a robe? Now, there's a strange paradox we hear these preachers talking about, now if you'll just, uh, you just accept Jesus, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, powerful, and wise. You'll have abundance. Is that what Jesus promised? That sounds like a foreign language to the Bible I read. Listen, when you follow Jesus, it might make you poor. It might make you feel rather powerless. 
It may make you a distinct minority. Moral majority, my foot. We, the children who follow Jesus have always been considered themselves a remnant, a burr in the saddle of power. There's a strange gospel being preached these days that seems awfully foreign to the Bible I read. So, you know, I think it was Augustine who said uh, something like this. He said, he who possesses a surplus possesses the goods of others. In other words, what he was saying, if you look at it through the prism of the Bible, if you've got too much, you're a thief. That's pretty radical. You see, the way God has it, we are, there's only so much resources to go around. There's only so many much resources. And some people have far more than they'll ever need in their lives, while the vast majority of people have little or nothing. And that's what we call injustice. There's a scripture I want you to remember. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Now, I've heard preachers preach on Matthew 28 till the cows come in, and it's, important, it's an important concept. Go ye therefore and teach. But you're not only to go ye therefore and talk about Jesus, you're also to work for the powerless, the poor, the outcast. Because what Jesus said in Matthew 25, inasmuch as you've done it or not done it unto the least of these, who are you talking about? The prisoners, the poor, the naked, the hungry, the sick. Oh, yes, if you don't hear anything else, if you read the Bible from generations to revolutions, I think some of you know better what that, I mean, I'm sorry, I got that wrong, Genesis to Revelation. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, what you see is that God does appear to have a preferential option for the poor and the outcast and the widow and the oppressed. So what does that mean about where you to spend your, the stewardship of your life? And where do we as churches, should we be concerned about our monies and about our mission? It should be what God is concerned about. And we've gotten all puffed up about being high and mighty and powerful and wealthy. Nothing, nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself. Nothing wrong with power in and of itself. But I think we in the United States are in danger of letting power and wealth co-opt the true essence of what Christianity is about. God has a preferential option for the poor and oppressed. That means things like health care and, and the way we set up our tax structure and housing. That ought to be rights. That's not privileges. And anybody who would tell you otherwise doesn't understand how it is to look at the world through the eyes of the poor, of those who have nothing. I'll tell you how Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus, is concerned about them. I'd like for you to stand all at once right now. You've been mighty patient with old Clarence. Let me remind you. Let me remind you. And let me say this. 
I wish you God's peace. And I wish you a life of utter joy. Uh, the abundant life that God promised. It's not a dour existence. This Christian walk is not the, what you, all of what you don't do. It's, it's the wonderful life that God has given you. Your humanity, your relationships, the air you breathe. Is, so I wish you peace. I wish you joy. And with all of your creativity, your intellect, and the gifts that God has given you, I wish that you would also work for justice and bring about the kingdom of God here on this earth. God bless your life and your soul. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.